If you were uh, with us last week, we began this series talking about how God uses imperfect people to communicate his perfect message. That was the first of the kingdom principles we were looking at. And uh, this past Wednesday, we were looking at the next kingdom principle, which is the process of perfection. That even though God uses imperfect people, we are not to stay in our imperfection. We just shouldn't accept our imperfection. That there is a process of perfection. It's called spiritual maturity that God wants to send all of us on. And the reason why this series is so important because we have to structure our lives around kingdom principles. We have to be the people of God that recognize if God's kingdom is governed by specific principles, then we need to follow those principles and structure our lives around that. And our journey now uh, in the Gospel of Mark takes us now to the second chapter where we're going to look at uh, the next kingdom principle. So I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Jerusalem and search carefully for the child. And when you find them, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. All right. So as we have just read, wise men, or if you have a different translation, it may say magi, uh, they, these men traveled from the east. What country it was, we do not know. But they had one intent, that one goal, and that was to meet and worship the king of the Jews. Now, in the 
The original Greek that word worship is interesting because it means several things. It means to prostrate oneself in homage, meaning to bow down and kneel down. Uh, it means to adore. It also means to kiss the master's hand. That's all the different meanings of this word worship. And of course, the word king means the sovereign ruler, the one who has power to rule. And so these wise men, they traveled with the intent, with the goal to, to worship the one who was born king of the Jews, which we know to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in contrast, we have King Herod. Herod was the current king at that time. And when he heard that these wise men were looking for the one who was born the king of the Jews, Notice the Bible says that Herod was deeply disturbed, or you may have another chance to agitate it. In other words, he was really upset on hearing this news that there was the king of the Jews who had been born. It's also interesting that the people of, in Jerusalem were also disturbed. They were also deeply disturbed, agitated at this news. So Herod gathers the religious leaders, the scholars, and he asked them where, according to prophecy, and that prophecy means the foretelling of the future. And in the Old Testament, we find prophets who God used to foretell what would take place in the future. And so according to the prophetic word, the scholars said the Messiah, the king, is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod tells the wise men, go to Bethlehem, and when you get there, uh, worship him, and then let me know where you, when you find him so that I can worship him as well. And three things that just to bring out as a highlight from these wise men, notice that they were filled with joy when they saw the star, and the star guided them to the very home where Jesus was at. And on seeing him, they did bow down, in worship, and then they opened their treasure chests and gave him treasures. That's our text for today. Now, by the grace of God, let me make the connection. In fact, let me just pray right now. Father, in this very moment, I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the word you've given me in my heart for all of us here today. This important, this critical kingdom principle that you want us to hear about and to be able to put into practice in our life, to structure our lives around. So I trust now for the help of the Holy Spirit to communicate it clearly and distinctly as I ought to. And as always, that we would all be graciously granted an ear to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's today's kingdom principle that every Christian must structure their life around. It's worshiping the king. Worshiping the king. In other words, I want to talk to you today about worshiping Jesus Christ 
as king. I'm not going to talk today about worshiping in general uh, because uh, we can be worshiping Jesus Christ as our Savior, and that's wonderful and good to worship him because he loved us enough to die on the cross of Calvary to pour out his blood, and is that through his blood we have forgiveness of sin. If you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I want to encourage you to do that today. And we can worship him as our savior. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. But see, there's another level of worship, and that is worshiping Jesus Christ as our king, the one who rules, who governs our life. We're talking about worship where we're, we prostrate ourselves in homage to the, to the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we adore him and kiss our master's hand. And now before I get into what it means in a practical sense on worshiping the king, I want to talk to you for just a moment about a common deception that can occur in Christians' lives. Herod was deceived. You see, Herod believed that he could be a Jew, part of the people of God, and not worship the king of the Jews. Herod believed that he could be part of the people of God and yet still be king over his own life, govern his own life. That was his desire. His desire was to be his own king, to rule or to govern his own life. And today, Christians can suffer from what I have termed Herod's syndrome. Herod's syndrome is the false belief, listen to me, that we can be Christians, we can be born again, and yet reject Jesus Christ as our king. That false belief that we can worship Jesus as our savior, but we don't have to worship him as our king. That we can be Christians, we can be part of the people of God, we can be part of the family of God, we can be born again, we can have our name written in the book of life, we can have that eternal hope that one day we can be with Jesus for all eternity, we can do, have all of that and yet still live our life here on this earth in total rejection of Jesus Christ as King. That no one is going to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. I'm going to be my own king. Herod syndrome. And the problem with this is twofold. Number one, whenever as Christians we suffer from Herod syndrome, we make terrible decisions. Remember Herod. Now, if, when you go read the rest of chapter 2, you will find that Herod, when the Magi did not come back to him, when the wise men uh, went on their way, Herod found out, okay, they didn't listen to me. And in anger, uh, in order to make sure that he eliminated this Messiah because he wanted to be king, he did something that probably in his life he never would have imagined he would do. He ordered the murder of innocent children to make sure that he killed 
Messiah, he had all the young children, boys specifically, killed. I could only imagine if you had talked to Herod six months before that time. Herod, could you ever see yourself killing innocent little children? It was estimated that Jesus was about two years old at this time. Herod, could you imagine killing every baby boy, the, the one from born to all the way up to two years old in the entire city? Probably Herod would have said, never. I would never do something like that. How could I do something so horrific like that? Yet he did. Listen, when we suffer from Herod syndrome, this insistency that we want to govern our own life, then we make terrible decisions that not only negatively impact us, but can hurt the people around us. Secondly, before we are saved, you and I were ruled by sin. Sin was our king. And what that simply means is this, because we were born with this sinful nature, we were under its control, under its rule. You, you and I did not have the power to say no to sin. When temptation came our way, we ultimately gave in because we didn't have the power to resist that thing. That's why we needed a savior. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. We did not have the power to resist sin. Sin was our master, our king. So here's the truth that you have to realize. Once you embrace Christ as your savior, once you, you say yes to Jesus Christ, then he breaks the power of sin in your life. So sin is no longer your king, but now he becomes your king. Here's the third thing about that. When we as the people of God reject the kingship of Christ, we default automatically to the kingship of sin again. There is no such thing. It is a pure deception to think that you could ever be your own king. You have never been and never will be your own king. You may think you're governing your own life, but the truth of the matter is once you, we as the people of God reject the kingship of Jesus Christ, then we automatically default to sin being our king again and we wind up doing all kinds of things, making incredible decisions that in the natural uh, we would never make when we were in our right mind in serving Jesus. Through his blood, Jesus Christ not only broke sin's power, but the Bible tells us he purchased us. We belong to him. Now, we love to say we belong to him when it means that it, uh, it gives us protection from our evil one. I'm a child of the king. Devil, you can't touch me. And we love to quote all of that. But we forget being a child of the king means we are subject to the king. That's why it's so important that we recognize this kingdom principle, that it's all about worshiping the king. Worshiping the king. It is a kingdom principle that we must, 
we must structure our life around. Let me tell you what that looks like in its practical sense. Three things I want to share with you, and then we're going to close in a word of prayer. Worshiping the king involves, number one, listen, it involves being filled with joy. The wise men, when they were led by the star, the Bible says they were filled with joy as they drew near to the house and stopped in that home. They were filled with joy because the star was guiding them to meet the king. The filled with joy literally means they were overwhelmed and excited with excitement at the very thought, I am going to meet the king and to worship him. Now today, our star is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always lead and guide the people of God to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, somebody needs to say amen to that. He guides us, and, and here's the thing. His goal is always to bring you and I into the presence of the King. And the very thought that you and I can be in the presence of the King to worship him whether we are in this building together as we're going to be next week, whether you're at home, whether you're in your car, wherever it might be, whether in your own private devotions in the morning or in the evening, however that happens, the Spirit of the Lord wants to guide you and I into the presence of the King. And that ought to excite us. Something isn't right if we're not filled with joy at the very thought of worshiping the King. I'm not talking about worshiping the Savior now. Let's make sure we, we stay on the same page because we can easily get excited. All oh, my sins are forgiven, praise God, and that's wonderful. And again, I want to make sure you understand. I'm not saying that that is wrong. I want to take us to a whole nother level. Today's word is about the kingdom principle of worshiping the king, worshiping Jesus Christ as your king, the one who rules over your life, the one who governs your life. And if that doesn't excite you, that Jesus Christ, the King of kings, wants to rule your life, then something is wrong. Something is wrong if that agitates you, like it did Herod. If you're deeply disturbed at worshiping Christ as your king, something isn't right with your soul. When we enter this place next week, I hope one of the things you will now realize, one of the things that will have become so real to you during this pandemic is how critical it is for all of us when we gather together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to lift up our hearts and bless and magnify his name. That's one of the reasons why I'm so excited. I can't wait till you guys are coming back and this house is filled with people worshiping the Lord. I miss the worship, the collective worship of the people of God. True worship of the King comes from a heart filled with joy. 
So in worshiping the king, number one, it involves being filled with joy. Number two, it involves prostration. Prostration. It involves prostration. When the wise men entered the room and saw Jesus, the king, the Bible says they bowed down and they worshiped him. Prostration. This is what it means, the physical sense. Not just on the knees, but the bowing down. The acknowledgement, I am before a king, and I humble myself before his presence. That's prostration. Now, the prostration we're talking about is not a physical position like I just did. I just illustrated it. Because I've realized this about my own wicked heart. And if you are like me, and you are, this could happen to you. We can kneel on the outside, but never surrender on the inside. I remember years and years ago where I was part of a religion that they had you kneel often. And while you're kneeling, you're supposed to be saying prayers. It's supposed to be an outward position of something happening in the heart. And I would just say prayers and kneel all the while thinking, when this service is over, man, I can't wait to go get high. You see, it was all a religious show. And there are times where we're not careful we can have a physical prostration where we have the appearance that we have embraced the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, all the while rejecting him in our heart. The prostration we're talking about is the bowing of our heart, acknowledging Jesus Christ as our King, the one who rules over our life, willingly yielding control of our life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heart and our lifestyle has to mirror the words that we share and utter from our mouth. The last song that Pastor Jason was leading us in song, we were talking about it, Jesus Christ. He's the, you're the king. Well, we can sing the song but how many know it's so critical? We've got to live the song. It's not enough to say you're the king and then reject them as king in our lives. We talk about worshiping the king today. Number one, it involves being filled with joy. Number two, it involves prostration where my heart is bowed down to the Lord. Yielded to him that he can do with my life as he pleases. And the last thing, it involves opening our treasures. The wise men, as they bowed down, then they brought out the treasure chest and they gave Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Treasures. What does that mean to you and I? It means this. Treasures represent that which is precious or valuable to us. To some of us, 
It's our time where we're not willing to surrender our time to God, our energy, where we're, we, we, we don't want to get involved in doing this or doing that because we want to save ourselves for doing the things that we want to do. Our resources, the financial resources God puts in our, in our care and any other, the talents that we have. These are all resources that are under uh, our control at the moment and opening our treasures to the Lord. Listen, I'm talking about even our hopes and dreams, everything that's, that we possess that's valuable to us, that's precious to us. Are we willing to open them up and say, Jesus, I want to worship the King by giving of my time, my energy, my resources, even my very dreams. I'm giving it all to you, Lord, laying them at your feet so that you can control them. Do with my time as you see fit. Use my energy, my talents that you have given me for the glory of your kingdom. Use the resources you place in my care, Father, to build the kingdom of heaven and not my own little kingdom here on this earth. And God, even my dreams, the things I aspire to, the things that I hope for, I yield them all to the king. Not my will, but your will be done. Talking about worshiping the king this morning. Worship team, if you would come back up, please. This kingdom principle that we've got to, we must structure our life around. Why? When you read the book of Revelation, you will find that in heaven, there is constant worship of the king. Even the elders that are gathered around the throne are the 24 elders that are representing the entire body of Jesus, of believers. They, 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 they worship the Lord. They cast their crowns that they've been given, that which is valuable. They cast it at the feet of the Lord and they bow down in worship. You see a picture of all of these things taking place in heaven. And when we get there, one day by the grace of God, that's what we're going to be doing for all eternity. But to get there, we have to structure our life now around this kingdom principle. It's time, brothers and sisters, that you and I stop trying to be our own king. We never have been and never will be our own king. It's time that we stop allowing sin to rule over our life. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross. His blood was poured out so that the power of sin, the control, the rule of sin could be broken. It's time that we engage in worshiping Jesus Christ, not just as our Savior, but as our King. And that our lifestyle supports what we profess with our mouth. Pastor Jason, would you help us? Let's sing that again. I lift my voice 
join the praise and I won't stand back in silence I lift my voice and join the praise and I won't stand back 